Welcome to the 2021 NFL Draft. Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Every year when the draft rolls around, there is a resurgence of energy from fans across the NFL because they believe this will be the year their team will make the right selection that will turn the tide and give their franchise and that fan base the hope they've been missing. We're going to make you a Las Vegas Raider, and uh, we're so fired up, man. Congratulations. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. We move into our final hour, abbreviated Cofield and Company. Today at 4 o'clock, we hand it off to the national coverage right here on ESPN Las Vegas. But rolling on live at Silver 7s, time to get the college expert perspective on this draft. And Michael Felder from Stadium is with us. He's at In the Bleachers on Twitter. Mike, we got to start out with this meteoric rise of Zach Wilson. It doesn't seem like it recently, but you and I talk college football all year. Zach Wilson, a nice story. Is he this close to Trevor Lawrence in terms of being a lock in the NFL? I don't think he's that close to Trevor Lawrence. I think the more surprising thing is that he's leaped, he's leapt over Justin Fields. So I think that there, there, if he was close to Trevor Lawrence, there'd be debate about him going number one. There's no debate about him going number one. There's no debate about him getting him going to the Jags. Like everybody, like if the Jags don't take Trevor Lawrence, everyone's going to look, look at each other like, what are you thinking? So I don't think it's that he's close to Trevor Lawrence. It's that he's moved into that two spot. And for a guy like Justin Fields, that's been pretty in- intriguing, especially when you add in the 49ers discussion with Mac Jones, Trey Lance. And now all of a sudden we have a guy who I think is the second best quarterback in this draft. We're looking at him possibly being the fourth guy, the fourth QB off the board. Why? What's happened? I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a team wants him. And so they're trying to push him down. Uh, I think people... I talked to uh, Mark Dominic, who was the GM of the Buc- the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he said he was talking about it. And he said maybe he's just he's a quiet kid. He's not super loud, but you can quiet guys can win. Like you don't you don't have to be out there yelling at everybody all the time. So it's very interesting to see what's happening. I think with for- the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan, it's more of a belief in a system. But if you believe in your system so much, what if you just put the best players in the system? Then all of a sudden, you know. It could be even better, but there's a belief in the system and wanting a guy who's just going to do what he's told, which lends itself more to Mac Jones or, or Trey Lance, I, I guess. But it's it's very interesting. And for me, everybody's talking about what, what are the 49ers going to do? What are the 49ers going to do? But the reality for me is I think this draft starts at pick number four with the Falcons because the reality is they're, they're just about done with Matt Ryan. And if Justin Fields is there at four, and Kyle Pitts is there at four, and Penny Sewell is there at four, now you have you have to make a tough decision, and then behind you, everybody else is now thinking, oh, we didn't, we didn't even think we'd get this guy. Okay, let's, let's change things around. Have you been disturbed, or have you seen some coded language with Justin Fields, you know, talking about intelligence and inability to read defenses? Yeah, there's a, there's 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 discussion about his intelligence. This guy's super smart. I mean, you put him on the board, he's gonna go out there and kick behind. He also, like, we watch him make reads. We also we, we see him make pre snap and post snap reads. I think the biggest 
thing that frustrated me was in the national championship game when they were so worried about Alabama. They didn't let him just make the reads by himself. They tried to control him, and they lost out on a couple of points. They lost out on a couple of scores because Alabama was already confused via tempo, and then they slowed Justin Fields down by trying to tell him what to do instead of letting him make the decision himself. When in the regular season, whether it's Penn State or Michigan or any of these other games, we saw Justin Fields make these decisions by himself. And they worked out pretty well. So, yeah, I think he's a good decision maker. He's smart. And then, obviously, people saw somebody go, would you think Justin Fields is a good prospect if he wasn't so fast? And I was like, yeah, because <laughs> he's a good quarterback. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Like, if he ran a couple tenths slower, that still means he's a great athlete. It still means he has the rocket arm that he has. The ball, His ball placement is outstanding. It's remarkable to see what he can, where he can put the football when guys are covered or uncovered. He's, it's, really, really, it's really, really fun to see. Michael Felder, College Football Insider with Stadium. He's at In the Bleachers up on Twitter. Of the, the top five guys, is there a guy you see where you're like, man, I think they're too high on him. I think he could be the guy who does not turn into an above-average quarterback. Yeah, I think Mac Jones is the obvious answer because he is an average quarterback. Already, he had great players, but he's and, and listen. That's not the, a knock on him. I think Mac is a good athlete. This is a guy that ran a four seven, so that's real. That's awesome. Like he ran a four seven. That's pretty. That's good. Good. Peyton Manning didn't run a four seven, <laughs> so that's good. I, I but I do think that he had he's he was he's an average quarterback at a, a superior program, and he was able to reap the benefits of that. And so watching him is going to be interesting. Because he is, he does feel very plug and play. And this is the thing that I look at, Steve. I look at Trevor Lawrence is taking one step up to the NFL. Um, I look at Justin Fields is taking one step up to the NFL. Mac Jones is taking one step up to the NFL. Uh, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, they're both taking double steps up, right? They didn't. It's not in Alabama. It's not a Clemson. It's not Ohio State. They're taking double steps up where they didn't play. How many how many NFL players did they play against this year? Not many. And Trey Lance didn't, didn't play against any. So it's a double step up. So for them, the speed of the game is going to be interesting to watch how they um, compute and, and, and counteract that and adapt to it. I think for Mac Jones, the biggest benefit is that he did play in a league that's got a ton of NFL guys, he played for a team that's got a ton of NFL guys. So – the speed of the game, I think, is going to help him process a little bit quicker, and I think he's going to be able to adapt. So I think what we're going to see are probably those three guys early hit their stride a little quicker because they're used to it. And I also think Mac's going to be a good locker room guy. So while he is, from an arm strength standpoint, from a mobility standpoint, from a like from all from from, from those from those really from those two, the arm strength is is the one that is interesting to me because he does kind of limit what you are able to do uh, offensively, especially if you don't have an offensive line that's amazing. He it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out, but I do think he is a good locker room guy. Everybody's spoken glowingly with him. One of my buddies is actually with Najee for draft night tonight, and is like, yeah, the guy knows what he's doing. Like, he fits into a locker room. And I think that fitting into a locker room is more important than a lot of people realize. The Raiders, they're looking, I think, at offensive linemen at 17. Are there five, let's say five or six offensive linemen in this draft that are worthy of a first-round pick that can walk into the league and be a starting tackle? Because that's where the Raiders are going to be. They may have to take the fourth or fifth or sixth offensive lineman at 17. Okay, so let's go. Let's, let's talk names instead of abstract. 
So first up, you have Penny Sewell. They, they're not going to get him. Next up, you have Rashawn Slater from Northwestern. They're not going to get him. And then after that, then you that's where there's a big question mark, right? So you have the Jenkins kid from Oklahoma State. You've got Alex Leatherwood, who I've seen slotted as far as a back half of the first round guy to an early second round guy. Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. Um, God, I'm trying to. Remember, you got I'm you got to, Vera Tucker, and then Elijah Vera Tucker is yep. an, he's an in, he's an inside guy though. Yep. I don't want I don't want him playing. I don't want him playing at the tackle spot. And then the guy so, that's targeted a lot to the Raiders is Darisaw. That's the one I was forgetting. Christian Darisaw. If they if Darisaw's there, you take him. Okay. He is a tremendous athlete. He uh, there's a couple plays play against Boston College from this year where he's outside on a screen and he tracks a safety all the way down the field and just keeps pushing him and pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. <laughs> there's another I think Khalil Herbert run against UNC where Darisaw comes out and just punches out the safety and just just crushes him. He can move defensive ends with one arm. He's really really talented. So yeah, I think we we're looking at we're looking at Sewell off the will be off the board. Slater will probably likely be off the board. So we get to Darisaw, and then Darisaw Jenkins Leatherwood kind of fit into this next group of guys, and it'll be interesting to see what how that shakes out. Because again, if you're a team, if you're a team in that in the top fifteen that's making this pick, and you and the receivers are already gone, Chase Smith Waddle are already off the board, and. The defensive ends, I think, are going to be really interesting this year, too, because none of them are as good as what we've seen in the past in terms of production and proven production and multi-year production. So maybe teams get froggy and go for them, which that's if you're the Raiders, that's what you want. Yeah, You want that so you can get Darisol. Well, the, the other one that's a real mystery, and I wanted to talk defensive players, too, uh, because of the – potential quarterback run early and the wide receivers and Pitts. People are looking at the defensive tackle group and they're like, listen, Barmore is not a guy that we really want to take in the top 15 or top 20, but the gap between him and then again, the proven guys behind him, the gap seems so big. Someone may just go crazy and get Barmore early and that could be the Raiders. Yeah, uh, Barmore is interesting to me because one thing I see, one thing I do when I look at the draft, I don't just look at one year of a draft. I look at over the course of the last decade, and realistically, you look at Alabama, where does Barmore rank in kind of the pantheon of defensive linemen they've had drafted in the first round? I mean, he's I mean, really like he's not Jonathan Allen, he's not Quentin Williams, he's not um Ashawn Robinson, he's not um Raquan Davis. He's none of those guys. He he's not Marcel Darius. He's not any of these guys. And so he's elevated because this is a very – there's a dearth of talent at the defensive tackle spot in this draft. But the reality is somebody's going to have to pick a defensive tackle, and if he's the guy you got to pick, he's going to be okay. But he is not no, – he is not as jazzy. He's not as talented. He's not as consistent. He's not as good as any of the guys we've seen from Alabama get picked in this first round or even early second. First round of the draft is on the way. We're at Silver Sevens. We're live here with Michael Felder uh, at In the Bleachers up on Twitter, Stadium, great college football expert. So if you had told me at the beginning of the college football season that Micah Parsons, who opted out, who was considered a top five talent in college football, Mm -hmm. potentially could be available, again, to the Raiders at 17, I would be shocked. Now we've been programmed to think, hey, there's something wrong with him. There's red flags. 
again, what do you think has happened to Micah Parsons, and what are these red flags, and does it concern you enough where you're like, he could be a freaking bust? Uh, see, I don't think he's going to be a bust in terms of on the field. I think he's going to get out there and play. I think he does have some some particular issues with respect to instincts because he's a guy that grew up a pass rusher for the most part, and then they moved him to linebacker, and he's still figuring that part out. It takes time. Um, it's going to take time, but I do think the value that he brings is he's figuring out linebacker relatively quickly to the point to the tune of leading Penn State in tackles. Obviously, I just want him to make more tackles going downhill, and then obviously he can also be part of your pass rush on third and long. The red flags, I believe, are largely uh, rooted in the hazing incident that he was uh, a part of, and that's something that you know it's unfortunate and it's not good, certainly, um, especially based on upon the report. So. That's, I think, the red flag. I do think that, guess what? When you're a rookie, you're not in charge of hazing. You get hazed. So <laughs> that's, I mean, I'm not trying to make light of the incident, but I am saying he's not going to be in that position, at least for for a little while. And I don't think they, they don't do that type of hazing in the NFL, and they shouldn't do it anywhere. No. So this is going to be, I, 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 don't, I don't, I wonder how far he falls. The guy ran a four, under a sub 4 440, which is amazing. He is... I, I I think he's the second best linebacker in this draft, but that's because I have value on versatility in coverage over versatility as a pass rusher. Uh, Jeremiah Wosu Karoma uh, from Notre Dame is he's far superior to Micah Parsons in pass coverage and playing away from the ball and away from the box. He's much better at that, and in the NFL, if you 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 have to do that. So what we're doing is you got to pick what you want. If you want a guy that can play away from the ball and work in coverage and cover a slot and cover a tight end that's flexed out, I think then then Awosa Koromo is your guy. If you want a guy that is going to add to your pass rush on third and eight, third and nine, then you're looking at Micah Parsons. I do think that fitting him into a scheme, be it 3-4 or 4-3, I think for Parsons the goal is going to be finding ways to make sure that he gets angled downhill instead of a late read and attacking from the side. We appreciate it all the time. We're with Michael Felder. We have a bunch of dudes on our show who fancy themselves chefs and you my friend are great up on twitter with the food (laughs) photos the descriptions you got us started yesterday so i was reading your tweet about your pizza night and i know you're going back to our conversations in the fall you love making pizza at home and i swear we we had a cheese debate break out amongst our show members with basically it was just Coming down to one guy over the weekend had used a shredded cheese out of a bag, and it turned into, like, you can't cook. Why are you using that stuff? It doesn't melt the right way. Uh-oh. I, oh, what's what's yeah. the right cheese to use if you got to melt cheese? All right. So if we're talking pizza cheese, what you need to use is a whole milk mozzarella low moisture. So that's what you want. Shredded? Or you got to get a block? You, it's got to be block, block cheese. Because when you go into shredded cheese, what they do is they actually coat that cheese with some different like enzymes and preservatives to make it not clump together in the bag. So you've got to, you have to go block whole milk mozzarella, low moisture, low moisture cheese. You take out your food processor, you throw the little disc on it that's got the shredder, you shred it yourself, get it, keep it cold. Then you put that on the cheese. It melts so much better. That's how you get that good, that, that beautiful look. You throw the broiler on it to end it. So you get a little bit of, of, of char on the top. That's the way you do it. Do you have an oven? Do you have an actual pizza oven? How are you cooking this? I uh, no, I don't have, a, I don't have a room. Man. I live in Chicago. I got two bedroom. Well, I, I figured, I figured you, you started busting out, uh, you know, barbecues and everything else. Grills outside. I figured you, you got a, a, gr- a little grill on wheels. You're wheeling it outside. 
I don't have I I, I want when I when I move home I am definitely going to get a pizza. I want I'm actually I actually want to build a dual use uh pit pit for barbecue and then also over top a brick oven pizza nice. uh, oven. So, but no, I right now I'm using I use a pizza steel. Really affordable, really easy pizza steel. You heat that thing up for an hour. Wow. Launch your pies off your pizza peel right into the right into the oven. We'll put them on the steel. I let it I let it bake for about 3 minutes. I flip it to broil for about 5 minutes. Pizza's done. Nice. Mike is a must follow on Twitter, not only for the college football but the uh, the food stuff. It's it's tremendous cuz he really goes through the process of how he, he cooks. But I will tell you for the next couple of weeks Back off. Back off. Felder is done. Felder is done. He's done with football. It's all over after the draft. Give him a break. Yeah, I need I need that break. Thanks so much for having me. I missed that dude. Michael Felder, our college football insider. He'll be back on as a regular in August. All right, giveaway time right now. Caller 7, 364-1100, 364-1100. VIP treatment is on the way from Floyd's 99 Cuts and Color. Caller 7, winner gets a haircut, hot lather, neck shave, shoulder massage, and free massage shampoo. Caller 7. Three six four eleven hundred. You get the VIP treatment at Floyd's ninety nine cuts and colors. Two locations in town: South Rainbow and the two fifteen, and in Henderson at Stephanie and Sunset. Color seven three six four eleven hundred. VIP treatment from Floyd's ninety nine cuts and color. Golden Knights games and seventy seven cent Bud Light bottles. Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino has you hooked up. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Well, if you've been listening since one, we went on early today. I freaking love the NFL draft, and everything's changed now that we have the Raiders in town, and we really didn't get the full experience, and we're sort of getting it this year. It's better, but the full experience of having an NFL team in town is awesome. It's totally awesome. Uh, they've got a gigantic party going on viewing party over at Allegiant. there's a bunch of events going on in town but i'm telling you this is the beginning of like the raiders really being here on the ground andrew glover who played for the raiders in the early 90s we've had him on before dude is a freaking bundle of energy he just walked up here at silver sevens he sits down with us what's going on hey man i'm glad to be here i'm glad to be here for the draft it's a historic day for las vegas and uh i wanted to be a part of it it's awesome all right so you didn't just come to town for our show so what have you been doing all day long well, we had meetings uh, early this morning, and we went out and spoke to the kids at the 100 Academy. It's our uh, second uh, second time going out there. We were out there last year visiting those guys and encouraging them and telling them about the greatness of the Raiders and, uh, you know, telling them to watch the draft and be a fan. What else do you talk about when you go uh, speak in front of people? Well, when I go speak to the kids, uh, particularly I speak about discipline. I speak about, uh, you know, listening to their parents and, uh, and being respectful. And so I usually reiterate those things to those guys during that time, and we tell them how proud we are of them for being for persevering through uh, tough times and getting back in school and doing a good job in school. So that's some of the things that we talk about. Andrew Glover, the former Raider, is here with us at Silver Sevens. You know, it's something we heard about the Raiders the entire time we were working on the deal, um, that the Raiders were a different sort of franchise uh, in terms of getting out in the community, and we really didn't get much of that last year you agree with that that there's a there's a bigger network with the Raiders of players doing community work maybe more than any other team in the NFL yeah we were that's, that's something that we were taught uh you know when I played with the Raiders and the, the late great Al Davis uh you know he uh insisted that we get out in the community and uh, do our community work and show the people the appreciation for the support that they've showed us throughout the year Andrew Glover is here the former Raider go back to your comments about kids right and discipline 
Do you think kids have changed? Because we hear all the time. Every, I feel like every generation is like, kids these days. What do you think of this crop of kids and kind of where they are in terms of discipline and maturation and looking to the future? Well, I think with social media, I think they have different outlets. I think there's so many things out there, and uh, they 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 just they searching, and they want role models, and they want to look up to people who have accomplished great things. And usually, they have a, a ear, excuse me, a ear up for us. They want to listen to what it took for me to be successful, so that they can follow that pattern, and hopefully, uh, they can reach their dreams and their aspirations as well. So, what do you tell them? What did it take for you? Well, I told him it took a lot of a lot of discipline. I told him you had to be a student first. I was a student, and I sat in the same seats like they sat before I was an athlete. I told him about the dedication I had to have to my craft. I told him about the special relationships that we bonded on the football field and the camaraderie we had with my teammates. And I, I told him about the uh, expectation of doing great things by working hard and preparing yourself. When you first came into the NFL – did you go through any of this interview process that the guys have to go through now, especially you know the guys in the first round? I mean, they're, they're paid so much money. It's such a big investment. We hear about this, this interview process and how intense it is. Yeah, I had to go through. I went to the combine, and we had to go through that interview process. And along with doing all the physical things on the field, uh, we had interviews with coaches, and um, we had to talk about uh, you know different things on how we felt about competition and how we felt about working as a team. So – that was part of that evaluation process. Anyone make an impression on you when you were first kind of meeting NFL folks? They kind of blew you away or they were strange characters? <laughs> <laughs> There's always someone strange. Uh, uh, you're talking about players or, or, or the staff? You, you tell me. Uh, it's been some, some real players that have, uh, you know, had a, a real impression uh, with me, you know, over the time that I played in the NFL. I mean, being teammates with people like uh, Ricky Williams, Randy Moss, uh, people like Howie Long, Roger Craig, Ronnie Lott, Vince Evans, uh, you know, Jerry Robinson, people, you know, in the Raider organization. Uh, Willie Brown uh, had a big influence on, you know, uh, you know how, you know, I went out and prepared and uh, wanted to make him proud and wanted to make the organization proud as well, well as my college. What was Willie Brown like in terms of uh, talking to him? Man, Willie Brown was absolutely and positively a great role model. He had spent – his life and dedicated his, his life to be part of the Raider franchise, the Raider coaching staff, and everything that he wanted to do to help the Raiders win games. He was about winning, and his attitude was about winning. And he even played – I even played uh, basketball with Willie Brown whenever the Raiders had a, a, a traveling basketball team during the uh, uh, off season. And uh, Willie would come out there, and he was probably 20 years older than us, but, boy, he would still get after it pretty yeah. good. And, one time we actually went to Kansas City, and we had five people and one person on the bench, and we beat the Kansas City Chiefs in Kemper Arena in front of about 8,500 people. And we had six people, and they had about nine people. So I knew I had to play the whole game, and it was a great way for me to stay in shape and get ready for the season. I'm not a young guy. You're, you're a little bit older than me, a little bit. I don't remember traveling basketball teams. When did that end? Uh <laughs> It ended probably a, a couple of years after it started. Yeah. It, 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 back in that was back in '91 through probably about '94, and we had an unfortunate incident where oh, one no. one of the players blew his knee out, yep. and that was kind of the end of that. Well, we knew it was taking a chance, but I was a three sport athlete in college, so I was kind of acclimated to always being on the move and trying to. It, I used it to strengthen my body up, and. Um, 
But it could have happened at any time, and we didn't. If you didn't have any extra insurance, then that was pretty much it. Your career yeah. was probably going to be over with. I figured at some point the teams had clamped down and be like, "You ain't playing basketball. It's too risky. It's too dangerous." Were you a, as a basketball player, you a power player? Could you face the basket? What kind of player were you? E all of the above. Really? Uh, when I played with the Raiders, well, I was a starting center at in Grambling, uh, at Grambling State University, and I played uh, all four years there. So uh, I just integrated my talent into the Raiders basketball team, and at the time we were one of the top basketball teams in the NFL. Andrew, you had to be you had to be the best player on the team. Yeah, I, I, I prided myself in that and went out, and, and um, at that time, I was actually not sure that it was going to work out in football. So I was always practicing basketball, and my skill set, just in case it didn't work out in football, I may have an opportunity to give basketball a chance and or be the first player to play professional football and basketball during the same season. That would have been an amazing feat. That would have been incredible. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I really was considering it, but at the time um, – when 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 it I, the newspaper articles started to come up in L.A. about how I had played in the in the gang in the gang league in L.A. where the games would start at 11 or 12 at night and we played against gangs to keep them off of the street. So I was in a, a number. I, not only did I play with the Raider team, but I played with other team traveling team as well. So um, I was serious about it, but the opportunity came for me to start on the football team. And I had I had to uh, come to a conclusion that are you still going to be honeymooning and trying to do this, or are you going to take football serious and get us a real chance and then let basketball go? And that's how it happened to me. Former Raiders tight end, uh, NFL tight end Andrew Glover is out here with us at Silver Sevens. We're getting ready for the draft. We're going to get out of here at four o'clock, hand it off to ESPN National, and then the first pick is a little bit after five, and then Raiders probably around six forty-five, seven o'clock tonight with the seventeenth pick in the draft. L- last thing on. Basketball, because I'm a big basketball fan. I'm fascinated by this. Uh, the background playing basketball, uh, the the gang league. Yeah, the gang league. Tell me, more, tell, league. Me, tell me more about that the, in terms of like, and were you talking to guys and trying to be an influence yes. on guys? And like, how big was that at the time? The Midnight League was set up to keep gangs off of the street in L.A. And I had a good friend that I went to school with at Gramlin. And uh, I would go into the gang area, and we would have a pickup basketball team that we had, and we would play against the, the local teams and the gangs. And all they really wanted to do was size themselves up yeah. up against us to yeah. see, you know, where this guy's a professional, and I know if I could take him or make a shot on him, then I could feel good about that. But we never had any run-ins. It was all about competition and respect. That's cool. And I didn't know how much danger I was really in yeah. at the time. I, I, I was just trying to do goodwill and, uh, and, and, and have an opportunity to uh, meet people and, uh, and, and to play against them. Yeah, we're talking early 90s L.A. too, and obviously we, you know, we saw a couple of incidents, really sad incidents. The town was a powder keg ready to blow. Right, right. I was there when they had the riots. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I lived in El Segundo at the time, right down the street from the facilities where we trained at. So I was a, I was coming out, out of my balcony, and I could see the smoke, uh, you know, pluming out across the city. But I dare didn't go on that side. I was very careful uh, during that time. Let's build on the, the basketball angle to the tight end position. Uh, Raiders are going to try a project, the kid who played at Eastern Kentucky, Northern Kentucky. They just signed him. This last week, I think his name's Carson Williams, you know, 6'5", 240, has real good measurables. What is that transition like? Because we've seen it work. We've seen it work with Antonio Gates. We've seen it work with uh, Tony Gonzalez in the Correct. past. What, what is the transition like? Why can, you know, uh, power fo- forward hoopers actually become decent tight ends in the NFL? 
I think because the agility-wise and the, and the conditioning, I think it's transferable to the football field. A lot of the things that you do on the basketball court are transferable on the football field. Staying low, uh, being quick, and the endurance uh, training is magnificent. Uh, it's it, it's probably easier to play football from an endurance standpoint than it is basketball because you don't get that many breaks on the basketball court. It's running up and down the floor. So that's the part of it I enjoy. It. It's a different muscle group. So uh, all those muscle groups are trained. So when you do go into football training, heck, all your muscle groups are confused. All of it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. All right, let's talk about the uh, the tight end in this draft. The uh, I mean, there's a lot of them, but the guy who's the uh, the most ballyhooed is this kid out of Florida, Kyle Pitts, who a lot of people think could be a top five pick, which seems crazy to me because you know there's been some tight ends who've gone in the first round. A lot of them haven't worked out. It's not the easiest position to make the transition to. Have you seen him? And what do you think about a tight end potentially going in the top five? People are thinking, hey, we can get George Kittle. We're getting Darren Waller. You know, we're getting Travis Kelsey. I think it's great. I, I think that you know he's worked very hard to be in the position he's in. And obviously, a lot of people, he, he's been an impact player in college. Now he just has to transfer that to the NFL and try to become an impact player in the NFL. Obviously, he has to, you know, it's a different kind of, you know, training and getting ready because it's a lot of grown men out there in the NFL. You got to be ready every single week. There's no, it's, it's no gimme games in the NFL. So I think it's, it's great that. You know, he, his talent is, is showing for itself, and, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, he'll get that call. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we had a guy here at UNLV who played quarterback. He played defense, a kid named Johnny Stanton, big kid. Uh, you know, 6'3", 240, was like a downhill power quarterback. Uh, he's made the NFL. He's mostly practice squad trying to make it with the Browns, but as a tight end. And he told me one of the biggest things that he had adjusted to as a former quarterback was the work with the hands. That when you get to the NFL, if you don't know what you're doing with your hands at tight end to get off the line, you are screwed. And, like, the common fan doesn't think about stuff like that, how important it is. All that handwork on both sides is massive. And blocking as well. Not just trying to get away from the defender because you are a covered person, whether a defensive uh, end is covering you or a linebacker is covering you. It's different things that you have to do to get away from that guy. You have to pivot. You know, you have swim technique. You have rip technique with your hands. But Because if you get caught up at the line, then the play could be over in a matter of seconds. But most plays only uh, average a couple of seconds anyway. So yeah. everything has to be done and completed super fast. You have to make a decision, make a move, and get on with it. Did you have a guy you faced on the edge, defensive end, linebacker, where you were like, golly, I can't figure this guy out. He's, he's getting me. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> every week. <laughs> I don't know if he's getting me every week, but uh, he's a formidable op opponent. Yeah. And he wouldn't be in this league and he wouldn't be starting if he wasn't the very best that they could find. Yeah. So all of those guys, I've had a lot of battles. I took a lot of big hits, but I gave a lot of big hits. So uh, that's the good thing about the NFL. The talent, the talent pool is going to be there. And uh, you want to do something, they don't want you to do it. So – uh, you know, you just, you have to have that strong will. You have to have that work ethic, and you have to watch film so you can uh, watch tendencies and be ready for anything they do because most of the time you're not beat by the first move in the NFL. It's the second and third move that beat you, and uh, that's uh, that's usually, you know, how it works out. So you have to be very fundamentally sound. Andrew Glover, former Raider, is here with us. We're talking NFL draft, NFL career. The basketball stuff was very cool. We're hanging out at Silver 7s. Uh, first pick in the draft expected uh, to go in about 90 minutes or so. All right, so the Raiders have the 17th pick. Uh, there are openings of need 
It looks like at right tackle, Trent Brown is gone. Uh, they don't have a free safety. You know, they have guys in the mix, but they don't have a guaranteed free safety. Jeff Heath, Jeff Heath is on a roster. They could use help on defensive line. They could use help at linebacker. What do you do? Best available? Or, you know, if you're drafting for the Raiders, you get you go and get a guy you need for a position. I think we're going to get a guy who's going to be produce and be productive. Uh, high character guy. High motor guy. And uh, you get the best available pick. Uh, you know, in the position that you feel like could help your team and uh, and, and go out and have success. So uh, we have a, a, a couple of areas of need that need to be filled, and uh, there's a lot of great players out there. So it's just up to the uh, staff to choose the right person and the one that's going to be integrated into the system and be productive. It's not tight end. They're set a tight end. We look good. Yeah. We Darren, look awfully good. <laughs> Darren Waller's pretty good. You know, we have an intriguing story that broke a little earlier today. Uh, Tim Tebow, former quarterback, played in the NFL, then tried baseball. He just retired. I think he's like 31. Right. Apparently, he's reached out to Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, and he's like, you know what? I might want to try to be a tight end in the NFL. Interesting. He's got the size. He's 6'3", 240. But as we just said a couple of minutes ago, it ain't easy. There's a lot of people that have been converted. I was a convert myself. Yeah. I played wide receiver in college, and I was a lot uh, thinner at the combine I was uh, six seven, two hundred twenty-two pounds before oh, wow. before opening day. I was six seven, two hundred forty-five pounds. What'd you do to put on weight? Eat, work out, and sleep. Yeah, that was it. Eat, work out, and sleep every day. There was a place over in uh, El Segundo that I used to always go to. Had shrimp fried rice, beef fried rice, and chicken fried rice. <laughs> And I could get me a big box of that after a workout Rice. and just eat it and then, and then go to sleep for a couple of hours and then do the same thing all over again. Yeah, That's my diet now. Problem is I'm not an NFL <laughs> tight end. It's not good, it's not good when, you're, when you're in your 50s. You're a short, stubby guy. It's not good. All right, so what's going on today? What's going on for you the rest of the day? Well, uh, we're going to be meeting with some clients. Uh, we, we're working on a Raider tailgate. Uh, right now, uh, my company is called Pro Player Promotions. Uh, we we working with some sponsors to bring in ex ex professional athletes and ex Raiders and show them a good time. Uh, they've earned the right to come to these games and to come to events where we're going to reach out to them. We're going to feed them. We're going to make sure they have uh, drinks and hospitality and a place to go whenever the Raider game is going on. Well, if you can get in the stadium, fine. If you cannot get in the stadium, we're going to have a place for you to come. And uh, we just appreciate our sponsors out there. I think uh, the, the uh, uh, Tommy uh, Say uh, is helping us out at Chapman Automotive Group. Uh, they are uh, uh, putting up some, you know, putting up some coin and telling us that they want to be a part and show the appreciation of the past Raiders and show us a good time while we're in Las Vegas. Good deal, man. We're thrilled you stopped by. Thank you so much. I'm glad to stop by. That was fun. And as you heard with Andrew Glover, every time we talk to him, there's something else that comes out in the interview where I'm like, whoa, okay. You got a lot of stories Yeah, I got to proof. Tell. I got proof in the pudding. I got a couple of shots I'm going to show you, and I'm going to let you get hy- hyped up about it and get your juices <laughs> flowing so you can really see this thing really happen. There you go. All right, well, thanks to Andrew Glover for coming on. We're going to send it back to uh, studios. Candy will be back in in a couple of minutes, and we're going to make our final predictions on what happens in uh, what could be a wild and wacky day at the NFL Draft. With 77 cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights hockey game nights are great at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Well, that was awesome. Andrew Glover, the former... 
Raider tight end, was on the Vikings. He's in town. I was going to say something weird, like he's still a massive human being. You know, you know, you, you shrink a little bit when you're older, Candy, but not much. I am. I am. I'm, I'm getting closer to that uh, 5'7", 400, not 4'9", 400, or 5'9", 400. Imagine someday I'll be 4'9", 400. I'll be that. Who's that guy? Uh, I forget. He's on the freaking uh, fiancé show, the, the little guy, the, the guy with no neck. What's his name again? I love that guy. I don't know. I think you're kind of heading toward Bagel Boss territory, though. Well, ba- I mean, Bagel Boss. Well, Bagel Boss is not squatty enough to be, you know, to appear to be 400, but he does appear to be like 4748. Yeah. Big nice. Ed, right, Ari? Big Ed Brown, you got it. It just popped in. Big Ed, who's not big, uh, but the SO will say all the time, dude, she calls me dude. Uh, she will say, the cargo shorts, you got to drop them. And not in a, like a sexual way. She's like, you got to get rid of, <laughs> Angel's laughing, you got to get rid of, the cargo shorts, because you're starting to look like Big Ed. And Big Ed, he's, I mean, he's, he's wealthy. I think he drives like a nice convertible, but he is 4'9 and probably over two bills with no neck. So I don't aspire to be Big Ed, except financially. I'm not sure there's a woman in the world who has ever said, you need to drop those cargo shorts in a sexual manner, Steve. <laughs> but thank you for clearing that up. I think the cargo shorts were pretty much what made sure no woman was going to say that at any point. But I, the clarity is definitely uh, appreciated. It was needed, right? Yeah. Because, you know, people watch our videos now. Um, they hear me talk about how I look. And the first thing they think of is, man, this guy must, he must be making a real run at the ladies all the time. So I just want to make sure we were, we're talking seriously about my attire and not the uh, – the other facets of my existence. By the way, during the break, Andrew Glover was here, and uh, what he was talking about, that NFL traveling basketball barnstorming thing, uh, he shows me some videos, and they were playing the Chiefs. I think he said 92, 93, 94, around there. And he starts showing me highlights. He is whooping the Chiefs. Like, throwing down jams left and right. He's 6'7", but at that time, because in college he said he was, you know, 200 pounds and up to 222 and he came to the NFL. Dude, he was yoked, destroying the Chiefs. They're throwing alley-oops to him. He said Neil Smith tried to cover him. You know, Neil Smith was a giant, you know, giant guy, a badass. He was like 6'4", 280. He's like, smoked him, destroyed him. I'm like, okay. Like, I ain't taking a charge. Not even now I'm not taking a charge from you. Come on, imagine how good a Raiders basketball team right now fronted by Darren Waller would be, right? Waller, and then we've talked about this before. I know Keyshawn Nixon was saying he was kind of a badass. And then we've seen uh, Ruggs, when he got drafted, a lot of his highlights came out from high school, and he's only 5'11", but he can fly. So, yeah, I mean, I, Candy, every NFL team could put a really good basketball team together. It just depends on how high level the guys were in high school. And, you know, sometimes you get guys who – you know, who could have played – I'm not saying they could play in the NBA, but, you know, could have been stars in college basketball. And both Gate, I mean, Antonio Gates was really good. He was from Kent, right? Am I getting the school right? I think he was at Kent. I think I have that right. Or is he Eastern Michigan? I don't know. Um, and then he was good. Uh, Tony Gonzalez was, was solid, but he was more of a kind of a bruiser. He was never like a 20-10 and 10 guy. Uh, but, yeah, Glover, Glover said he's going into the Grambling Hall of Fame soon, and he was a, a three-sport athlete, so – so, yeah, let, let's stick on this. What, uh, as we make our bold predictions here, we're going to hand it off to the national feed, ESPN National, with the coverage of the draft. What is going to happen with Pitts? 
Where do you think he goes? If Atlanta is truly serious about sticking with Matt Ryan for any length of time, then Kyle Pitts should be going at four. But Atlanta really shouldn't be serious about that because they have to look at where this franchise is. They have to look at the defense. They have to look at the age of Julio Jones, and they have to say to themselves, this is not sustainable long-term. So if that's the case, and if we think that Kyle Pitts might fall even one spot, because if someone trades up with Atlanta to four, and that would be my suggestion to them, would be the trade out of that spot. If someone trades up with Atlanta to four, they're coming for a quarterback. And then if we get to Cincinnati on the next pick, really, as much as they need a lineman, could Cincinnati afford to pass on Kyle Pitts? I would much rather draft Kyle Pitts than I would Panay Sewell. So I don't think he gets past five. Yeah, I'm in a different camp. I would always take the offensive lineman, but I guess I'm more old school football. And I've been uh, we've been talking about this the last week or so that you know, offensive linemen are important, but if you got to score, 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 maybe you get those elite weapons that you can't get later in the draft. I think you get the weapons later in the draft, and I never trust a tight end going in the top ten. Uh, the other thought on Atlanta, uh, Adam Hill, you know, a member of the company, working with the RJ, his mock draft was out yesterday. He actually had two teams trading into the top ten to get a quarterback. Uh, he had the Bears coming all the way up from, what, 20 to get to number four to take a quarterback. And then he also had the Pats moving up with the Panthers from 15 to eight to get a quarterback. Any chance one of those things happens? I like the idea of the Bears and the Falcons more than I do the Pats and the Panthers because look at where Carolina is today. What's the solution in Carolina, right? What is Matt Rule and what what does Joe Brady, where do they think this franchise is going in the long term? Because the long term answer is not in-house right now. So I don't see Carolina choosing to move back in that spot. But the Bears, come on. Come on. How long have these fans been suffering? How long have they had to watch Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles and the like? Would there be? Think about it this way. Is there any Bears fan on God's green earth who would be upset to see their team trade up to go get a quarterback? Would they miss the draft capital? Would they say, oh, no, oh, no, we lost more picks? Or would they be thrilled to be able to peg their future to a Trey Lance. Of course they would. Coming up tonight, uh, we're going to be out of here at 4 o'clock from Silver 7s. Thanks, thanks to the folks here at Silver 7s for hooking us up with the, uh, the live show location by the Corona Cantina. We're near the William Hill Race and Sportsbook. The uh, book is right across the way, and if you'd been smart, you would open the app weeks and weeks and weeks ago, and then you'd be good to go to, uh, well, bet the draft up until yesterday. Uh, they had to close down the wagering. We'll hit that on the way back, but also uh, tonight, we are back at 6.30 online, 6.30, 6.45. We're going to have a live NFL draft reaction show around the Raiders pick. Candy's going to join me. Uh, Adam Hill will be in at some point. Q Myers is on the show. will be in. Kansas City experts around Petro. We'll probably get Mark McMillan as well. But we got a live video stream going tonight to react to the uh, picks in the middle of the first round. First and foremost, the Raiders pick will be up on Twitter, also up on YouTube and Twitch. Anytime the Golden Knights are on TV, watch the game at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s and grab your 77-cent Bud Light bottles. Cofield and Company presents... Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Take your hand in there, Dave.
All right, we close things out before we go to ESPN National. I want to remind people that uh, right down here at Silver 7s over at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook, because racing is back, you got the wagering menu, full menu, derby this weekend, Oaks on Friday. You got a triple crown prop. You got matchups. And while supplies last, it's uh, this spot and participating William Hill, Nevada locations, you'll get a free souvenir mint julep glass with just a $20 derby bet at uh, William Hill Race and Sports. Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right, Candy. All right. Rapid fire here. Rapid fire here. We got a lot to get into. Raiders at 17 will pick. Micah Parsons. I don't think he's la- I don't think he's going earlier than that. Wow. I really think that they're going to be seduced by the talent of a Micah Parsons. I think he's going to slide because of what are the perceived character concerns. And I think linebacker has been devalued in a lot of systems other than the Las Vegas Raiders. Okay. Is that a good thing and a good pick or not? Adding talent on the level of a guy who was a top 10 pick coming into the season is absolutely a value for the Raiders. Do we believe they have the structure and the discipline to make a guy like that successful in the long term is the real question. And I don't know. I mean, we, we went through this with Lynn Bowden last year, right? We went through this with a guy where we thought, it, we thought from the perspective of Mike Mayock, John Gruden, he was a character concern. And they didn't try to work with it. They shipped him out. So I just think that I see Parsons sliding and I see Gruden with Gus Bradley and this fly all over and make plays defense coming together and saying, hey, man, we can't pass up on a playmaker like that. Stick your hand in there, Dave. I'm going to give two choices, which is not fair. I, have to, I should have to give one. I say Raiders take Vera Tucker kind of utility lineman from USC, or they go hardcore, intense need and take Trayvon Morig, the free safety, which is a little bit reaches, which is a little bit high. I saw some people speculating that, hey, maybe the the football team could take him, but he's the uh, he's the safety at a TCU. I mean, am I crazy that they would take a guy to fill a position need who you know maybe truly slotted like twenty seven to forty, but they take him at seventeen. Yeah, that's been the pattern, right? Ever since John Gruden got here almost four years ago, they have said we have a need, we're drafting to it, and we don't care what anybody else's value is on that player. Hasn't panned out thus far, but when you look at their history, there's no reason to suggest that you'd be wrong. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Which of the five quarterbacks, Lawrence Wilson? Lance, Mac Jones, Justin Fields. I remembered all of them. Which of the five top quarterbacks who we've, we've had all mocked in the top ten, which of them slips into the second ten? I have a fairly significant wager on Mac Jones uh, over nine and a half. I've believed really? from the start. I have, I have Mac Jones over nine and a half draft position at plus 300. Um, I haven't bought it. I, I don't – maybe – I am putting too little faith in Kyle Shanahan and in John Lynch's ability to evaluate. But when I watch the other quarterbacks, when I watch them play all season long, they all look to me on a different level than Mac Jones. And to me, if Mac Jones does not go to the San Francisco 49ers at number three, tell me which of the next six teams 
is going to take him. I don't see it at all. So for me, the value on Mac Jones was to say, there's only one place that I see the guy going. Stick your hand in there, Dave. I think the only way you get screwed, if you get that scenario where the Niners pass on him, the only way you get screwed is if there's someone super aggressive, whether it's the Vikings, the Patriots, football team, the Bears, that then trade inside of that nine-and-a-half mark, and you get screwed. Yep. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, I just Every time we hear about these drafts and, oh, there's going to be a ton of movement and trades, and, they, and they're like, that might happen like once every five years. Most years, teams stand pat. And I'll tell you what, I have it surrounded from a different angle, too. I have a group prop with Lance and Justin Fields and Mac Jones that says, who goes first? Ooh. The value I have on Fields is ridiculous. I have 22 to 1 on Woo-hoo-hoo. Fields to go. Do we know anything? We no. don't know anything. Nope. Trey Lance is 3 to 1 in that group, and he's moved to the betting favorite. So nice. we'll see. God, I can't wait. Come on down here, watch the draft. That Silver 7's two bars to watch it at, and uh, happy hour has begun, 277 on many of the drinks national comes up next if you want local raiders coverage jt the brick is on with lincoln kennedy raider nation radio 920 and we'll be live on the web podcast 6 30 watch it if you can check out at steve cofield